0: Today's episode is actually going to blow your mind and it will be very significant. If you have a question for me personally, just head over to askdimple.com and go to the bottom of the page and you will simply click on the link where you will record your own voice and ask me that question. And what I'm going to do, I am going to personally respond back to each and every one of you. And when you send me your question i will respond in my own voice as soon as possible so let's dive into today's episode welcome to another episode of supercharge your souls transformation podcast i am your host simple vindra and today we have julia also known as delicate hibiscus by her instagram following she is a writer and a mental health professional Although her social media content covers various avenues, she mainly addresses themes of self-help and personal development. Today, we will get to know Julia through her personal story of navigating mental illness and discuss several related topics including childhood trauma, emotion regulation, relationships, confidence, creativity, and so much more. So welcome to the show, Julia. So happy that you are on our show today.
1: Thank you so much, Dimple, for having me.
0: Julia, many people know you as Delicate Hibiscus on Instagram, but today I would love to delve deeper into your journey. Could you start by telling us about the defining moments that led you to focus on self-help and personal development? So... I would
1: say, I, I mean, I always loved writing. That was always my strongest form of communication growing up, starting from elementary school, and I've just always loved writing. And so from then on, it was just my outlet, you know, my form of self-expression. And so at home, things were a little bit troubled with my parents, and I ended up developing an eating disorder. You could say it was like a trauma response. I specifically developed anorexia. And so that was kind of like my first full-on exposure into the world of mental health at the age of 11. And at that point, you you don't even really understand it. And so just being guided by my mom, by doctors, and by the age of about 16, I ended up taking a psychology class, an introduction to psychology class. Okay, so... As long as I could remember, I've always loved writing. It was my strongest form of communication growing up, starting from elementary school. And I guess where mental health and self-help kind of came into the picture was in kind of an unexpected way. At the age of 11, I developed an eating disorder. From my understanding, it was more so like a trauma response than anything else. And at that time, I didn't really understand it. But later on, when I started learning psychology at the age of 16. I took like an introduction to psychology class and I became just automatically hooked on the human brain and human behavior. And that just was my first real step into just understanding mental health and just becoming so intrigued with the different ways that we can help ourselves and improve our mental state. So from then on, just so absorbed into that and just going into college, I majored in psychology, and currently a counselor who works with individuals who have mental health struggles. So that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from, for
0: my writings. It's, it's amazing that you have been very open about your personal struggles with mental health, especially on Instagram. So could you share with our listeners what that journey has been like for you? And how it has shaped your approach to your work? Sure. So obviously
1: at the age of 11, you don't really understand these types of things. I personally don't feel like I was at a developmental milestone to really be able to fully understand it. So at first I was very much being guided by my mother and the doctors, nutritionists who were taking care of me. And then a few years in, I would say like mid-adolescence, like 16 years old, I finally like understood these patterns, just kind of understood where my brain was going, what triggered relapses. And that's when I kind of started getting more of a hold of it. When I saw certain triggers coming, I could kind of like anticipate when a relapse would happen and I would know how to kind of get back on track. And as time went on, I just kind of got a little bit better at dealing with it. Even today, I I still struggle from time to time. About every year, I do tend to relapse. You know, life gets hard, things get stressful, and when you have certain coping mechanisms that you fall back on, even if they're maladaptive, you know, sometimes you just you just fall back into those patterns. And so when I when I do my writings and I'm in these in these spaces, even though my writing doesn't directly target eating disorders. I tend to write about the things that I need to hear myself on any specific day. And the advice that I would need to hear, other people usually tend to resonate with. Other people tend to need to hear those same words. So so that's where kind of like my eating disorder and my writing journey ties in together.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Julia. So you also mentioned very briefly that I know about you that you were diagnosed with what kind of eating disorder and how old were you at that time?
1: I was 11 years old and I was diagnosed with anorexia.
0: So Julia, you had mentioned to me over our conversation that your parents were emotionally unavailable for you. And that's a topic that you often address. So for those who are unfamiliar, how would you define emotional unavailability and why is it significant to recognize that in our relationships, especially both as children and adults? Yeah, So I would define
1: emotional unavailability as mostly, I think it boils down to individuals not having proper coping mechanisms to deal with their emotions. I believe it boils down to a lack of emotional regulation and when you're not comfortable with your own emotions or attuned to your own emotions, you tend to be uncomfortable with others' emotions. And so, individuals who are emotionally unavailable tend to dismiss others' emotions, belittle those emotions, or be unable to una- be or be unable to effectively help guide others through their emotions. And so, this can be particularly harmful with parents who are emotionally unavailable because they are the role models that children need. In order to regulate their emotions we mostly learn our emotion regulation skills from our parents and so if we don't if we don't learn this growing up we tend to develop unhealthy coping mechanisms to do with our emotions and that could be anything from addiction to dissociation to mental health struggles to just being outright you know angry or irritated, just have very large fluctuations in emotions that are uncontrolled. And so obviously, when it comes to our relationships later on, we might find ourselves in very destructive, dysfunctional, avoidant types of relationships, relationships that kind of mirror what we were around, you know, a lack of emotional regulation. And so that can be a route to a lot of individuals' traumas, and it could be a route to a lot of, you know, our mental our mental health struggles. Not always, but I think looking at our relationships growing up, especially with our primary caretakers, can be a good starting point for a lot of us when it comes to unraveling our
0: traumas. Wow. This is very important for most of us to know because not everyone had a perfect childhood and being around dysfunctional parents can actually like you mentioned about the mirroring part, and this is some, it's one of the topics that I usually address a lot in my clients. And I talk about, you know, if however you were parented, you may find a partner kind of similar to your parents. Do you agree? I
1: totally agree.
0: Yes. Wow. Okay. So reflecting on your own story, what were some of the signs of emotional unavailability that you encountered? And how did you really navigate through them? So,
1: when it comes to navigating through these struggles with my parents, I would say it took a lot of self-education to begin with because the individuals that we that we grow up with a lot of the time, unfortunately, there a lot of it, adults are not aware of how their actions and behaviors like influence their children or other people. And so, I think for me, like I said, it was a lot of self education, reading others' work, social media, it can be used in positive ways. And so, I started connecting with individuals who've been through similar things, who've had similar relationships with their parents, and just learning about, you know, how that could influence our mindset and the way we are as adults. Um, going to therapy has also helped a lot. And I think also setting boundaries with our parents or other individuals who have these dysfunctional styles has been very helpful as well. I feel like when you create distance from something that you were so used to growing up, you, you have this widened perspective. You know, you see things from a different angle um, and particularly if you start developing and engaging with healthier relationships, ones that, you know, have emotional regulation and communication and respect as as core foundational features of those relationships, you're not only on the path to healing, but it makes you realize just how inappropriate and maladaptive those previous environments were.
0: So I'm curious, Julia, you mentioned you were around dysfunctional parents. You also mentioned you were diagnosed with anorexia, emotional (laughs) unavailability from your parents. Can you tell us your story? Who is Julia? You know, what's her story? And why was delegate hibiscus born? So I know it's two questions, but I would love to know your story. Sure. So
1: I would say leading up to like my eating disorder I truthfully don't remember much about childhood I feel like my ultimate recollections earliest recollections are from like my adolescent years and truthfully um I don't know if there's much of a story to tell because at that point I was still I was very numbed like mental health struggles and just like the trauma of growing up the emotional unavailability from my parents I was very dulled all I really did was focus on school and extracurricular activities, just kind of in this cycle of productivity. And that's just how it was for a long time. You know, not much play, not much spending time with friends outside of school. But one particular conversation that I did have with a friend at that time back in high school, this was when I was 17, we were having some deep conversations about topics. And I said I said something to her and she was she told me that I should start a quote page. And so a couple of days later I went in and just started my quote page. Like I said I always loved writing. It was kind of in the back of my mind to take it a little bit further. I admired some quote pages on Instagram but having that conversation with my friend kind of gave me permission to start that Instagram page. And from then on just you know continued on remained consistent with that. But in terms of coming back to kind of my story outside of delicate hibiscus, it's just been a lot of exploration, especially these past few years with just graduating from college not too long ago, figuring out what I want to do. I've never really known what I want to do. Even as a kid, I couldn't tell you I wanted to be a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer. That was just never never a thing for me. But I've always loved so many different things. So many different interests pulled my attention. And so... Now I feel like I'm on the journey of exploring those things, of allowing myself to be multi-passionate, uh, obviously continuing on with Delicate Hibiscus, working on healing from, from traumas, growing up, working on getting better at regulating my eating disorder, becoming more attuned to my emotions. So I feel like this phase of my life is a lot more internal work, um, but... But yeah, I wish there was some sort of like exciting story, kind of like <laughs> leading to the come up of Del C. Hibiscus. But truthfully, there wasn't. And I feel like that's the reality for for a lot of people, especially people who come from dysfunctional backgrounds, you know, kind of like the trauma tends to consume. And I feel like the healing is where you truly come alive and just start living.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, so, you know... Moving on to a very personal aspect of your life, you have spoken about your experience with anorexia. And so could you walk us through that time in your life and what recovery meant for you? Yeah. So as I mentioned in the beginning,
1: I just was not really aware of what was going on. It was like a reflexive trauma response. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the first few years, I was just, like I mentioned, being guided by my mom and doctors but as i did get more of an idea of my triggers and like how my weight fluctuates and as i started to get an idea of how much i should be eating and you know figuring out how exercise and rest fits into that piece it was just a matter of trial and error for me truthfully therapy and meeting with nutritionists every week did not work well for me so after those like first after being hospitalized at the age of 11 I would say like the first year after that, I spent just like surrounded by professionals and being guided in certain ways, but it just never, never truthfully worked out in a way. I don't necessarily understand how, but it just, it just wasn't helping. And so it was just a ma- matter of trial and error from then on, just becoming more self aware and, and reeling myself back, you know, not ultimately not letting myself slip as far as I did that first time, and I'm still figuring it out. I'm still learning. But recovery for me centers around remaining strong. I really love exercise. I particularly love strength training. And you can't get stronger if you're fatigued, if you're not resting enough, if you're not eating enough. And so I always come back to that. That tends to be my anchor when I start I start slipping with my eating disorder. So... Mm.
0: Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So many of our listeners might be looking for ways to support loved ones dealing with mental illnesses. So you being a counselor based on your experience, what advice would you give to them?
1: So first and foremost, I think it's just very important to listen, to truly hear someone out and try to be as non-judgmental as possible. When we keep our mouths shut, that tends to be a little bit easier. Um and really trying to put ourselves in another person's shoes you know we might not understand we might not be we might have not gone through the things they endured but they are very much real and so reminding ourselves how much how important it is for us to be heard how significant it is for others to to truth to truly hear us um just putting ourselves in that position I believe is the is the first step and a lot of the time people just, want to be heard. They don't want to be lectured. They don't want advice to be given. But after I hear somebody out, after I hear their story, I I ask them straight out, you know, what do you need from me? Do you need me to listen? Do you need me to give you advice? Or is there anything else you need? And people will tell you straight out what they need. And and then you take it from there. I think that's just like the baseline when it comes to when it comes to helping anyone, eating disorders or mental health struggles or otherwise in any aspect of life, but also particularly when it comes to mental health, you know, there's a lot of resources online and directing people to, to those resources, especially when, let's say, an individual is depressed or anxious. I feel like when you come in contact with community, it could be very helpful So definitely advising help, especially when it comes to very dire circumstances where someone is, you know, in danger of harming themselves, making sure they're getting that help. Um, Remaining present and supportive and just helping people, allowing people to know that you're there for them, that you're present, that you're not going anywhere, that you're not going to just leave them because they're struggling. A lot of the time they do feel like a burden. So being present, listening and supporting them in the ways that
0: they tell you that they need you to. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I have my next question is like more like a yes and a no question because a lot of my clients, for example, will struggle with let's say anxiety or some sort of depression and they will consider going the medical route. So do you think in your opinion That pills help with mental illness. So when it comes to
1: using pills to deal with mental illness, I think it's, it really depends on the circumstance. For some people, the medications can be very life saving, but for others, it's, and from my personal experience, it tends to be a band-aid for, for mental illness. It doesn't, especially if it's just medications you're not necessarily being taught effective coping skills to to deal with your emotions, to to deal with your symptoms. And so I generally don't, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist. As a counselor, just based on what I've seen, I personally don't recommend them too much. And when it comes to, to medications such as antidepressants, specifically SSRIs, there is emerging research to show that it that it practically practically does not do well for the brain circuitry associated with with regulating emotions, and so and there tends to be this type of effect where you know you have to take more and more and more for the same effects to be to be acquired, and down the line that could impede things such as memory, for example. That tends to be the most notable thing, and so I highly recommend you know therapy being around. Trusted friends, being in healthy relationships, changing lifestyle habits, diet, exercise, getting sunlight. You know, I think that getting to the root of, you know, our foundation, um, getting to the root of well being is a very good starting point. And a lot of the time that really helps with mental health symptoms such as depression and anxiety. So I recommend starting there. And, you know, if, if a situation is just very intense very dire and all other all other avenues are are checked off i would you know recommend that someone resort to medication but i don't think personally that it should be the first line of defense
0: thank you thank you for sharing your perspective cuz i align exactly with your thoughts and what you have been recommending to your patients and clients i pretty much you know follow that route and that same way of thinking lastly mm-hmm. Your writing process must be quite close to your heart because I personally (laughs) love, love reading what you write on Instagram. Could you describe how an idea typically evolves for you and what a day in your writing life looks like? Sure. So honestly,
1: this might sound just very unexciting, but As I go through my day, um, I just like catch inspiration from somewhere. It might be an Instagram post. It might be an interaction with one of the individuals I serve. It might just be something that I'm going through and I need to hear myself. I draw inspiration from pretty much anywhere. And then I just go in, write a rough draft in one of the apps that I use to, to write my quotes. And then it takes me about, I would say maybe a half hour to an hour to edit it, to make sure that the wording is exactly how I like it. For any artist or writer out there, you probably could relate to me when I say it just, you just reach a point where it feels right. And -hmm. until you reach that point, there's kind of this tension. So until I feel like it's right, I keep editing it. And then I put it against the background of my choice. I put it on Instagram, schedule it for the next day. And that tends to be it. But I think that you know, where a lot of people get stuck is in that inspiration phase. And something that really helps me is just getting still, not having many distractions, making sure that that's the only thing I'm focusing on. Because when you just tune in, tap out all the distractions, there tends to be this type of flow. And over time, creativity can be honed, you know, it's not just some natural talent. It is a skill that you can build and and work on. So so yeah, that tends to be my process.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Julia, for sharing your wisdom with us. And guys and gals, this was Julia from Delicate Hibiscus with us on our show. We are going to see you next time. So Julia, it was a pleasure talking to you. And it was a wonderful conversation. And you shared so much of your insights with but- where you started your journey with anorexia and then you you went through challenges in your life and then all of a sudden now you are a very I would say famous famous (laughs) writer on Instagram so thank you Julia it was wonderful to have you on our show thank you so
1: much Dimple it was an absolute pleasure
0: thank you so listen if you're struggling with something all you need to do is book a call with me and i promise that i am going to provide a lot of value to you you'll probably believe that this is the best thing that you have done for yourself in a very long time all you need to do is click on the link below and book a call and if we are not a good fit for each other at least you have gained some value from speaking to me which i promise i will deliver So go ahead and book the call with me right now and let's talk and I'll see you on the other side. For all of our listeners, always remember metamorphosis, not medication. Namaste.